Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Life and Limb Podcast. My name is Chuck Anderson. This is episode 19 of the show. Thank you very much for checking it out. Appreciate having you here. The uh, music at the beginning and throughout the show is Fugazi, and the song is called Life and Limb. Thank you, as usual, to Fugazi for the use of that song. Um, today, I am joined by uh, one of my personal favorite photographers and directors, uh, Tim Sassenti. And uh, Tim is, you know, one of those, just another person I've known for, for years, never have actually met in person, unfortunately, but uh, worked with him on a, a project for a magazine years ago. And from there, I just kind of followed his work and kept up with what he was doing. And we've just kind of been in loose touch ever since. And, you know, Tim is one of those people who, you know, I've just, I've really admired his work for a long time. And I came to admire him and his work even more after this interview. Um, personally, this was probably one of my favorite, uh, if not my favorite interview I've done so far. Um, just really enjoyed the conversation. Tim has a lot of great insight, a lot of experience, a lot of really great things to say. Um, and I should say he's one of those people. And, and this, this is the case with anybody who's an artist and I do an, you know, audio interview with, it's really difficult to, um, put into words what they do. It's definitely best if you go check it out, familiarize yourself with the work um, ahead of time. If you're not already familiar, maybe refamiliarize yourself if you've already seen his work before. But it's uh, timothysacenti.com. You can check the link on the website, lifeandlimb.com. Uh, but Tim has done work for some of the most um, kind of creative musicians and companies uh, that are out there today, you know, done uh, work with musicians like um, Flying Lotus, Pharrell, um, Chromio, uh, Battles, Animal Collective, Fanagram, LP, uh, just just really super forward thinking artists, um, artists who care a lot about you know, the, um, the artwork, the direction of their, you know, the creative around the music and all that. Um, and he's done stuff with Audi and Nike and, um, just really just some amazing stuff. Um, I can't say enough good stuff, um, and enough good things about, about Tim and about his work. Um, definitely highly recommend you, uh, check it out. Uh, if you're not already familiar, like I said, um, but yeah, just super inspiring, really, really amazing work. And, uh, he's, he's uh, got so much insight because he's done so many different types of things. You know, it's not just photography, it's directing and working with big teams and having to travel with gear and um, set up shoots and, you know, really organize and create and craft concepts and then see them through to the very end and, and please clients on tight budgets and, you know, kind of um, at the same time um, come up with his own ideas compared to what the artist's idea might be. Um, just, all the way around, super interesting and, and really fascinating. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. This was a lot of fun. So anyways, um, yeah, uh, you should follow Tim uh, on Twitter as I sit here and try and find <laughs> what his Twitter name is. I think it's just Timothy Sassenti. Um, and I really do always encourage, yeah, Timothy Sassenti, I would definitely encourage people to, um, you know, you listeners to, um, kind of be following along the work um, as we speak and as I do these interviews and, you, and and when you listen, I think it goes a long way to help kind of elevate, um, you know, the conversation just to be kind of immersing yourself in the person's work if that's something that you can do. Maybe uh, if you're in the car listening to this, maybe don't do that. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, check out lifeandlimb.com for past episodes of the show. 
Uh, follow at Life and Limb on Twitter for uh, more updates on a regular basis. Subscribe on iTunes, yada, 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 all that good stuff. You know how it goes. Anyways, uh, without further ado, my conversation with Tim Sassenti. Please enjoy. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Today, I'm joined by Tim Sassenti. Tim is out in New York, and uh, it's a beautiful day out there. How you doing, man? I'm wonderful. How are you, Chuck? I'm good. It's also beautiful here in Chicago, um, but I have all the windows and blinds all closed up to try and keep the echoes down in here, so... Uh, can't really see right now, but it's. I, I think it's nice out. So you're sitting in like a dark box. Basically, right now I am. It kind of creates a nice, warm, comfortable, cozy mood when I do these interviews. I don't have to look <laughs> outside. Like, why am I talking to a microphone when I could be outside? Um. So how you doing? What are you? Uh, what are you in the middle of working on right now? I know you. We were just chatting a little bit before about how you're about to head off to L.A. for a little bit. Yeah. Well, as you know, I'm a I'm a director and a photographer, uh, and um have this sort of lifestyle where uh, I get to, to a certain degree, sort of uh, pick what I feel like doing that day uh, on certain days. And uh, this is one of those days. So we finished a whole bunch of projects. Um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with like the production process of something like a music video or something, but it, it generally is about like three months of like nonstop grueling work from figuring out, coming up with an idea to pitching the idea to beginning to execute the idea to staying up all night, finishing your visual effects. It's, it's pretty much a full on grind. So yeah. I, I few of those projects and now I'm in this sweet spot of this like few days before I have to start the next one. So on a day like today, I woke up and, uh, I watched this great documentary, um, about Kenneth Anger called uh, about Lucifer Rising, the uh, seminal Kenneth Anger film. Mm -hmm. And now I'm working on a treatment for Royscop. I'm not sure if that's how you say it. <laughs> that, will, that will, if if gets picked, will turn into another three months of absolute nightmare work. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but this is the part where like it all seems like a fantasy and you don't have to deal with the reality of like actually traveling and carrying cameras and climbing up mountains and staying up all night and all sure. that, right? It's just like a, a twinkle in my eye. <laughs> but you do love doing that stuff, though. I mean, at the end, when it comes down to it, but I'm sure in those downtime days like today, it's very appreciated that you've got a little bit of time to yourself where you can actually think about nothing or just whatever you want to think about and take a take a little bit of a step back from that. Yeah. Well, they say like there's nothing less creative than being on like a film set. Like, mm. You have to do all the creative work before any of this stuff gets executed sure you have to be present but all the downtime i spent is spent on things like looking at films researching the next project uh calling people like you and talking about hey you want to do something <laughs> and then um you you know you'll be out in la and you'll be just i mean today will be a distant memory and you'll just be i mean for what i mean the the thing you're in the middle of working on right now it'll just be like the next couple of weeks and just pretty much focused on this project? Uh, yeah, well, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to have some meetings and I'm going to get some sun and I'm going to uh, be outside of New York for a little bit, which yeah. is always, always nice. Yeah. And see some friends that we don't get to see that often. And, sure. and then see what of the like 10 or so projects we have on the table actually makes the most sense to to finish, which is sort of how a lot of these projects work. It's mm -hmm. like there's a lot of feelers out to see what's possible 
various projects, some commercial, some editorial, some music video type things. And then from that bubble up to the surface, the one or two that seem to have the most uh, the, the most factors going for them. And then those are the ones that sort of take off and, sure. and have, have, have to happen quite quickly. Gotcha. Um, so speaking of New York, are, are you uh, from New York originally? Where's, where, where's home? Uh, I'm from New Jersey. Okay. Which is not too far. I'm from about uh, 40 minutes from where I am right now in Brooklyn. Oh, gotcha. And I've I moved, and my parents are from New York, uh, so I spent a lot of time here. So I kind of feel like I grew up a little bit in New York, but with the benefits of being in the suburbs and having a backyard and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Sure. Uh, and I've lived in New York now for about 15 years, and it is my main base of operation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm my all my family and, and extended family and parents and everything are from New Jersey too, and I feel like I've met. And I'm not personally, but I'm out there all the time. And I've met so many people who, you know, now are in New York, and then you find out they're actually from New Jersey, and then uh, same with Chicago. Like people say they're from Chicago, and then you find out they're actually not really from Chicago. They're from like 40 minutes south of Chicago, um, and then of course always found their way to you know the center yeah. of it all. Um, so it was, I mean, New York was always going to be kind of home for you, no matter what do you think you're just, I mean, that was, I think so, but you know, there's so much luck involved in any of these things. It's like you, if you're lucky enough to be born near a major creative hub, you, you know, you probably do what you can get to it, even though it's, you know, it's still a struggle to get to New York and make it in New York. For me, it was at some place that's very familiar. And I love living here because it's like after, Close to Europe because uh, I do a lot of work in Europe, and close enough to LA. But sure. Um, so, what uh, what was the first picture you took? What was the beginnings of your love of photography? Did it was this something? And I mean, directing too. Obviously, that's it's your career has blossomed into all sorts of you know different facets of that. But um, I mean, well, what I was interested in photography was I in in uh, high school we have to take some kind of class, uh, kind of like. Uh, I'm not sure in what you would call it now, but a, a class of some kind of arts or something that you chose to do. Uh, and, and I chose photography kind of randomly, but then I completely fell in love with being in the dark room and doing like experiments in the dark room and kind of coming up with things that look sort of uh, otherworldly. Hmm. And uh, the alchemical property of it, of mixing the chemicals and adding light to the paper and 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 making these like very abstract uh, kind of uh, magical sort of images and seeing the seeing that you could you know transform what looked like a normal scene into these sort of like dreamscapes and yeah. then so that was an, and so the, actually the first photograph i took was actually a light painted photograph of like a glass cube um so i guess i haven't come that far <laughs> <laughs> I, I think people don't really change that much i mean artistically i think people just kind of evolve once they figure out what it is that they love to do. And and I, I look at my work a lot of times and I think, man, like, am I really doing kind of the same thing? But then I look at what I think is the same thing that I did, you know, seven years ago compared to what I did now. And there's a refinement to it that I simply wouldn't have done then, you know, or there's, there's um, a, a more edited um, approach or I did less because it was a lot more. I mean, my tendency early on was always to do the most possible because that to me felt like then I was actually working hard and and now I don't necessarily see it that way, you know, and I think, um, in your case, maybe, you know, not much has changed. Uh, but I think once you really figure out what it is that you love to do, 
you just figure out new new ways to continue doing that and keep it exciting for you. Yeah, if your motivation, um, I mean, your 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 style is like quite strong. My style is quite strong as well. So it's like if you come out of the gate with this super heavy style, where do you go from there? Right. You know, you you have to become more refined or sublime. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, the process of the photography w- was the most interesting part. I mean, I love the result, but it was the process of going in and not knowing what these things were going to look like. Yeah. Being like, I'm just going to throw this stuff on the paper and I'm going to throw this chemical on. I'm going to put this thing on here and then I'm going to wait this five minutes it takes to process and then look at it. And then from there, uh, it, it, it almost felt like some of the things when you're doing photography are out of your control. So you're putting elements together and then you're doing an experiment and the result of the experiment is this thing. And then you refine that experiment. And I'm still refining that experiment. My tools are a little different. Now I use like, I use cameras, but I also use a lot of uh, code processes and, mm-hmm. and video synthesizers and lots of different kinds of lights. I mean, a lot, uh, the toys just got bigger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, <laughs> and that's the other thing too. I mean, like maybe the, maybe what you do doesn't change a ton again to go back to that, but like the, uh, the resources and what's at your disposal, what people provide you because they need it in their project or, or, you know, what you have at your, uh, you know, at your disposal is just, is, is bigger and better and cooler and more interesting. And just, you can do all sorts of, you know, just more grand, uh, visions, I, I suppose. Well, it's also, you know, maybe I'm not sure how your work process is, but for me, when I have downtime, I'm doing a lot of experimenting and playing mm-hmm. with things just because it's quite fun and interesting. But mainly we're, we're communication artists. So right. uh, when someone I have to apply these things, this look, this kind of point of view to communication for someone else often because I work with a lot of musicians or artists. So then I have to go when musician or artist will bring me the song or tell me the concept and then I have to figure out how to tell that story with these this palette that I have sure. going at the time right. and that to me is really interesting so I feel like I'm always a collaborator with these people yeah take, definitely take yeah. it's a hard when you have a style and your style is strong I think it becomes really important to have collaborators and people to work with on it so it doesn't just like fold in on itself right or just become dominated by style without the story the narrative the you know the substance behind who you're working for um kind of help balance that stuff out you know i mean if it was just pure style i mean that's where your personal projects can come in or or whatever but uh obviously in, in any collaboration important to put your spin and style onto uh what someone else is doing but maybe not onto as much as integrate into, I suppose would be the best way to, to frame a successful collaboration. Um, but I'm really curious about, I mean, first off, I want to, I want to mention, I just think that your answer to how you got in photography is so just, it's perfect because a lot of times, especially younger generations now, I mean, their answer to that, I mean, I could be interviewing someone, you know, who's 20 and a very, you know, starting to become well known for their photography. And their answer will be, well, you know, once the iPhone five came out, that just changed the game for me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and your answer is, you know, uh, the dark room and really falling in love with photography and, and experimenting and kind of having to be very patient to see what would sort of come from the film. And I think that's just fascinating. You know what I mean? It's just incredible. I was also lucky, again, being near New York City where I, so I, I was interested in all these experiments, experimental processes. I got, I went to the School of Visual Arts and I met a lot of interesting people, 
but I also was able to work for some of the biggest photographers in the world and, and, and talented people in, in like the late 90s, people like David LaChapelle and people of that ilk, where they were still using film and traditional tools and, and they were pushing the boundaries of what you could do with art direction, set design, uh, this whole thing to make these like immersive worlds. You don't have that as much now. It's coming back a little bit. But after that time period, after like 2000 or so, all the money for that kind of stuff disappeared. Mm. But I feel like that that's where I learned what I wanted to do was sure. from being in that world because that world has a lot of planning. You have to think about it. You have to think, what are we trying to say? How can we say it? What's a new way to do it? There's a lot of research. There's a lot of, it's a very long process and a lot of people involved, a lot of collaboration. And that that's what I really love. It's very, very different than getting an iPhone 5, taking a picture of your uh, model girlfriend like half naked on a motorcycle and then getting 100,000 uh, Instagram views. Yeah. Which is, that will, that exists now and that's a thing, but I feel like it's a very different world than the one that I'm interested in or that I grew up around. I mean, when you're working with film and, and you're working, and if you're working with these large scale productions, there's a lot at risk. Like, so you have to be careful. You have to think about it and then you can set yourself up so there can be spontaneous elements within there. Uh, but it is a much more alchemical long-term process. Sure. So what were, I mean, speaking of collaborators and, and, you know, working with other people, uh, was there, I mean, you as far as your, um, transition from just sort of loving photography when you were younger and, and sort of finding that, um, what, what were some of those early jobs and how did you get them? Um, you know, what was kind of the first experience, you know, doing work for a client where someone was kind of, um, you know, uh, telling you what you were going to do, um, yeah. even if they gave you freedom for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, first you have to think that, you know, if you grew up in the suburbs in New Jersey and it's like when the Internet is still quite early, you don't even know a photographer is like a real job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> aside from, you know, the portrait studio at Sears or whatever, it's like you have to go into that world and find out, is this an actual job? People make money. How does that work? Yeah. It, it would be that that was, you know, that that took a long time to figure out and then to figure out how do you you know, how do you, you know, if you go to school, how does that work? And, and then assisting these great photographers and seeing their models of working, all of that took a long time. But my passion at the same time was also music because there is this, I, I was always into music, but I, there was also this, it was a very rich time for a sort of underground electronic music coming out in like the mid nineties, late nineties. And that was the world I was immersed in. So on one hand, I had this real passion for it. I would DJ and my friends were in, you know, they had all these record labels. And, and in New York, it was like a really vibrant, rich scene. Uh, and then on the other hand, I was very interested in photography. So I kind of was able to combine those two loves without feeling like I had to sacrifice too much. The, the first people I was taking photos of professionally on my own were people from that world and generally people from that world don't necessarily want their photos taken they're not necessarily people like uh celebrities so to speak or they're not models they're not fashion people they're used they're used to just like hanging out in their little bedrooms in the dark kind of like you are right now uh working <laughs> on their working on their songs and then to so for them it's like and a lot of the music was meant to be faceless so for them sure. having a picture taken is sort of like anthema to their uh -huh. concert of what they're doing so i found ways to create imagery for this world and be part of the world and be part of this subculture and at that time 
subculture was really strong and that you had to, if you wanted to be part of the subculture, you had to be giving something into it in order to get access to it, to be, you know, find those interesting records or pieces of media or whatever. Subculture now has changed where you can just Google something and find it. You don't really have to like be a part of it or produce anything for it or be accepted into the fold to get any of this like sort of hidden knowledge about things. Right. So the first things I was doing were these DJ portraits. And I, I'll say, I, th- I don't remember the first one I did. Maybe it was Sasha or somebody like that. Uh, but they were, you know, kind of like when we worked together, we did um, James Lavelle, right? Something like that. Yeah. Th- th- what, something I did with you? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, what magazine was that for? It was it was James Lavelle. It was the guy. It from- was. And it was a very greenish sort of portrait. Um Oh man, I can't remember. I'll, I'll, that'll come to me, but I remember that. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 I mean, and I had started a few years before that, but I think it was Sasha. It was one of the guys. Anyway, the guys come into the studio and they've just finished DJing for like 10,000 people who are really high on ecstasy. So they think that they're amazing. They know everything. <laughs> they're like got feeling godlike, but they are completely hungover and they're pasty and they, and they're just like kind of like the least photographic subject matter you want yeah i made my life really hard by like trying to choose this sort of world to be in so i had to so but it was also worked for me because it helped with my style developed in order to like communicate things about them but also compensate and try to make interesting images under these kind of challenging Mm -hmm. circumstances yeah did you find it early on that you enjoyed working directly with people? I mean, obviously doing doing portraiture and, and working um, on, on things where you're specifically shooting people as opposed to landscapes, objects, you know, scenes, whatever. Um, I think, you know, that's just not for some people because whether they're maybe more introverted, whether they just don't like to command, you know, the set or whatever it may be. Did you yeah. find that you had a love for that early on? I mean, did it integrate well into your personality and the way that you kind of like to do things? things you're like oh i dig you know sitting here kind of telling this person to now do this and look this way but you know etc etc um short answer is no not at all i didn't want to be that guy Uh my first portfolio was all uh, even later on experiments with electricity and and photography uh and and landscapes and still life and things like that not a lot of portraits i I felt quite shy to be telling someone what to do Mm -hmm. and uh but because I was interested in the people. I tried to find a way in my own personality to make it work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was a challenge for me to have to get over being uncomfortable in those situations and to meet these people, to tell them what to do. And so just as like, I mean, all this art should be also feeding your personal growth, Mm -hmm. right? You should be pushing yourself into places that you're uncomfortable and trying to come up with something and trying to, you know, believe in your own ideas, even if people are telling you, you're wrong, uh, which also took me a long time because the style of work that I was doing was quite dark and immersive. And mm-hmm. it was like popular at the time was like a lot of snapshot photography. Mm-hmm. So uh, now I, I kind of carved out a neat niche where I can I, I'm asked to do these kinds of things. But sure. at the time, it was like that was not what people were interested in. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, it took me a long time. And I'm, I mean, you, I'm still if I'm still nervous to go to the set and be like, here's all my ideas that I think you should be like, now go stand there. <laughs> right, right, right. You know, you're like, you're, you're, you're banking on your intuition that, cause often when we're doing projects, I have no contact with the people until they show up on set. Or have you been communicating with like 
an agent or an agency or something like that? Or is it purely like, hey, we want to hire you, bring your ideas to, to the... Sometimes, well, you know, so if it's a magazine, which a lot of the more creative stories are, like we just did a project with Pharrell for a magazine. And uh, I've I worked with him before, but I don't really know him. And, you know, he's a big star. Um, so, but, and I had to come up with an idea. We didn't, they don't like tell him what we're doing before he comes to set. Mm-hmm. We, we just, you know, they, the magazine tells me, what do you want to do? And I tell them and they go, okay, that sounds about right. And then if he comes to set and doesn't like it, I have to think of something new really quickly. But so Pharrell, what I do did, which is what I do for a lot of artists is I did research and looked at what's the point where he is interested in something and I am interested in the same thing so that when he does come to set, we can talk about it and it'll be both of our worlds colliding, which to me is what makes a good portrait. Absolutely. Uh, And I found that he asked on his rider for when he does shows, he always asked for an eight by 10 um, framed picture of Carl Sagan, (laughs) which is bizarre, right? And I was like... But you know, I know he's a fan of his and I remember seeing, I don't know if you've ever seen the interview. um, Are you familiar with Nardwar? Uh, yeah, he did an interview with Pharrell and I'll never forget the first time I watched that interview Pharrell's fate. And this is pretty early on more in the NERD days, like pre really what he is right now. And, and he was asked about Carl Sagan and then Nardwar gave him like a gift, uh, like a Carl Sagan record, The you know, and, and um, he just, he was, his mind was blown like that the guy was aware that he liked that. And so right. I think that a big artist like that, or really anyone, but especially a bigger name artist can really appreciate someone coming in as a collaborator, having done their research and coming in with like, Hey, so I found out you really like this. I've been thinking, you know, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. So we, I said, I know you like Carl Sagan and you know, the show cosmos with Carl Sagan when he's on like this sort of spaceship. So we built you that spaceship (laughs) and we had a giant set of the spaceship with some modifications that we made, Mm -hmm. but he was basically like in the Carl Sagan spaceship. Wow. That's kind of how I approach a lot of these things so that there's something of interest that for them, they feel like, you know, they feel like we took the time to care just like any, like a friend or anyone who you're going to use their time. You want them to feel like they actually thought about it. Right. Uh, did he love that? And then it, yeah. I mean, he was like, he was really thankful and he was like, I mean, it, when you have a giant set in a studio, yeah, I mean, it's quite impressive looking, yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's, and I, my shoots are usually atmospheric. There's like smoke and lights. It feels like something's happening, uh, <laughs> and music and, and whatnot. As my assistant said, it's like 6am after a rave most of the time. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, he was really appreciated. He said he thanked everyone. And he thanked the set builder and gave us a little extra time. And uh, you know, that's you know my that's my approach to doing portrait photography in uh-huh. some ways. Whereas some people and people that I assisted for and things take the alternate approach where they want to be kind of antagonistic, thinking that's going to bring something else out of the subject, uh-huh. some kind of mysterious truth. Uh, that's not really my style in life, and it's not my style in in photography. Sure. Um, so yeah, so that's how, you know, I went from being kind of figured out how to w- make it work within, you know, the things that felt like me without, you know, every time I'm still nervous, but if I'm not nervous, that's probably, you know, means I'm not present. So, sure. so, I mean, so it's definitely something, uh, for you, that collaboration and early on, like a lot of the portrait photography stuff, um, being very key to what you do eventually you got more and more into motion into film um 
what was your very first uh, foray into, um, you know, moving images into video? Uh, and was it a completely foreign feeling at first? Uh, or did it feel like a pretty natural transition for you to go from photography into, you know, to video? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, see, I had friends who were directors. Um, and they would sometimes ask me to come and light the set or uh, have a look at this, you know, color session and come help them with color and light, because that's sort of like a lot of the things I think about in my work. So I was around these people's motion sets, but I had no idea about the protocol of motion, which is very, very different than still photography. There's like a hierarchy and certain people can't touch certain things and electrical people can't touch the camera. The director's not supposed to touch the camera. There's, there's a lot of like nonsense to like when you're just trying to make something. Uh-huh. I was lucky in that by the time I went to shoot my first real motion project, which was, um, I was working with this band called Battles. Yeah. And we had done portraits before and they were like wanted to shoot an album cover. So we were going to build this giant mirrored box to shoot the album cover in. And just for financial sake, really, they said, we can't, you know, if it's so expensive to build this thing, can we make a video? as well. Uh, and, um, I was like, yeah, I know how to do that, which I wasn't quite entirely sure I was. Uh, but I had, I had been working with an editor who was amazing named Ryan McKenna and he came to the set and we, when the set was built and I worked with a DP and figured out where to put the camera and how to make the camera move and designed all the shots. Um, but Ryan, the editor taught me about time what mm-hmm. how you're meant to work in time because as a photographer and this is a, a this is a massive problem with a lot of photographers moving to motion is you think about this one beautiful image yeah <laughs> but you don't think about how long that image is going to last on the screen right and i would say during the initial edits hey we'll just put that on there for a few seconds and he would be my editor would be like you're crazy like it, a few seconds is a really really long time in motion and it took me getting into that process and mm-hmm. having like having sitting with this this amazing editor who taught me about time and how time stretches and contracts and how to do, you know, where to put the, how the camera moves cut. And then once I started to understand that language, it became easier. But initially, and I think a lot of photographers have this, and also a lot of photographers have this problem where if they have a beautiful shot, they don't want to cut it out, mm-hmm. even if it's not moving the story along. Huh. Yeah. So I've worked with some pretty amazing editors who just like kicked my ass about timing and, and, things like that and uh, so it wasn't totally natural at first but so th- so that battles video for anybody who hasn't seen it i mean it's that was that i mean that was your very first uh big motion project or that was your first motion project uh, in general like i'm saying i had been like working on other pe- working with some of my other friends yeah but that was the re- that was the only one i had the first one i had done on my own that was the first one where it was like really your name is attached to it because for anybody who hasn't seen it and the song is called atlas that's I, I maybe I didn't realize that, but that's quite a complex uh, and complicated looking, um, you know, even just the photography of it, and you know, with the mirrors. I mean, it's 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 this yeah. sort of suspended reality of in this like mirror box that the band is playing inside of, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's just it doesn't look like the work of someone who's it's their first rodeo with that, and obviously it helps to understand here that you had prior experience with other people and all that, but still nonetheless, very impressive that that's, I mean, that was like your first sort of, this is the first, you know, video of yours that you would put, you know, put your name right alongside of. It's pretty amazing. So, I mean, definitely one 
for the ages to have broken into. Did that did that help you want to do more? Were you like, wow, I'm hooked. I'm going to do more, more video. Like I, I want to do yeah. this. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed the end result of the process and I really enjoyed the process. Like I built a miniature version of the box and I put dolls in it and I filmed them to figure <laughs> out where to put the camera. Sure. I mean, it was very long at the time I was, we were working, um, kind of like we were working for warp records and a little outside the system. So there wasn't like a huge, time pressure so we had time to figure some things out which is like the most important thing in the world for this kind of stuff Mm -hmm. so i figured a lot of the stuff out and then when you saw it work and you and also that again it was like a collaborative thing where the 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 dp brought a lot to it and um and the editor brought a lot to it and you know there was minimal effects but that brought a lot to it it was it was it would made me feel like i you know, really brought out the joy of collaboration in me. Uh, and I kind of applied that to my photo shoots after that, where I was like, I'm, I always want to work with this kind of team of people sure. where up until that point I did, wasn't doing that as much. That's why like now if I do a shoot like the Frell shoot, it has a set builder. It has a, you know, someone with lighting and as VFX people, it's more like a motion project. So when you say we, like you've, you've said we a couple of times, it's kind of yeah. your reference to a team of collaborators. You're not talking from the stance of like you're, company or anything it's it's sort of the uh, a, a very you know sort of like ever-changing team of people who come together um, yeah because you like you work you, you have your main people which is uh director dp and production designer the director director of photography and production designer those uh-huh. are like main people and the producer uh and then uh so i have like a set of people who i work with on, i try to work with on almost every project and you know, each person bounces off of each other and brings a lot to it. So you kind of have to say we. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I've been on a couple sets where like even just really simple ones where it's like three people and I'm being filmed for some sort of interview or something. And then, you know, you find out that the, you know, you re- you know, the clients in one city and then these people are actually from, you know, like in my case from Chicago and then they hired them and then they did a nice job. And so the next time they had a big job, they brought those people along because they really liked how they work. And it seems like in the world of, of film and, and I mean, they've all these people who are just like this one guy is just the best grip or this one guy's the best, you know, guy behind the camera. And this, you know, this one person's just my favorite director or whatever. And it seems kind of like this ever changing landscape of, of collaborators coming together, depending on who is right for a given project. Yeah, definitely. And I think what I really liked about motion was that compared to the with photography, it was all about that one image and you see it and right. that's it. With, with motion, it could be much more abstract. Sure. There's all these abstract elements of time. And so, for me, it was very like freeing. So then I, I did very quickly did another video right after for Animal Collective where it was like, oh, we're going to try to do a story now. Mm-hmm. Then it was, I was also being able to tell like a story. It's also, it gets quite, uh, it's quite exhilarating. Uh-huh. Uh, compared to sometimes the the stillness and the and, and the almost too too immediacy of, of photography. Hmm. Now, a lot of the artists and bands that you've worked for seem to be um, people that you yourself, from what I know of you and your work, are just a fan of already. It's not like you're doing you know videos for these you know maybe it's maybe it's because of your style, maybe it's because you know whatever. But it seems like you've been able to get to a point where you're definitely being able to choose who you work for or just be more selective um, or you're a fan of their work or at the very least their vision. Um, is that the case? I mean, I, you yes. obviously don't have to name names for anybody you haven't actually liked or anything, but it seems like you look through your stuff and it's like, 
you know, I mean, just one artist after the other of someone who's like, this person's so good. I, how has this, you know, guy been doing all the work just for these people? Are they drawn to your style or are you going to I, them or what? I think the, the world of this stuff is much smaller than you'd think. Mm-hmm. Like we're all fans of each other. And most of the people I work with are quite, they're also like creative uh, beyond just like their music. They have visions for things. And uh, I think, be- like I was saying, because I was part of sort of a subculture type world, like I have a lot of respect for those people. And I think I can speak to them in a language that they understand. So they don't feel like they're being forced to do anything mm-hmm. that they're not comfortable with. And I think that's a big part of this is like making sure that everyone's on board with the same vision. And uh, and also part of it is because of the photography. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll work with these bands on photography projects first, and then they like personally how it goes. And then we build them. We go into a motion piece together. I mean, personality, getting along, having respect for people is like a huge part of it. And also it's because I have to live with these songs for like three or four months. If I don't like the song, I can't really do the project. You're right. It's like, I'll drive myself crazy. I'll drive everyone else crazy. I'll probably feel sick. And this <laughs> is sort of like... And I and like one of the things I was talking about earlier, which was like trying to how do you keep being inspired after this time? And for me, it's working with these new artists. Sure. There's a lot of amazing <clears throat> artists in the last like five or six years because of I think because technology has take, made it so that uh, a lot of people can easily create music without having to get very expensive, strange analog gear. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely made it so that like there's the barrier that like women maybe had of going into the the keyboard store and having to deal with these asshole guys, you know. So like there's a lot more, you know, women who are who are making stuff that I think to me is like absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes the people come to me and but if there's a band that I like, I'm like I'm saying the world is quite small, I'll reach out to their manager and right. say, if have anything coming up, totally. you know, I could get my people on board but this is the lifestyle that you create this is my world that i like being in Mm -hmm. everyone's is everyone's is different but it does translate to bigger things like you know i did we did some stuff for usher depeche mode some bits for nine inch nails like those you know it does scale up yeah and when i do commercial work it's quite complicated and quite really big productions and are super high budgets Mm -hmm. So because of what you do, I mean, it's such an art form from, I mean, every step of the process. I mean, even if it's technical, there's still like an art to being patient and like doing things the right way and taking your time to, um, you know, plan and sketch. I mean, even hearing you say that you made this like little mini version of the set for the battles video and put these dolls in it and like shot it so that you could get a sense of what you were going to be in for instead of being surprised that day. I mean, there's there's a, there's definitely an, an art to this, um, even if it's technical or grueling or takes a lot of time. Um, so, I mean, given that, you know, there's an art form to all of this, but looking at the kind of bigger picture, I guess what I'm getting at is how do you sort of maintain, um, or where do, where do your ideas come from to sort of create, you know, a, a unique vision every time you have a new project, um, since things are, you know, ever changing, especially in 2014 now with the internet. And I mean, things are so different than they've ever been. It's not like you shoot a music video and then like, Hey, it's going to, it's scheduled to be on MTV like tomorrow at three o'clock. Like, once you put yeah. it online, it's like up to the internet to decide if it's going to be good or not and if it's going to spread around and if people are going to watch it and enjoy it and all that stuff. So, I mean, what's the biggest challenge for you in order to continue staying fresh and keeping things sort of unique going into each project, given the fact that things are sort of just always changing around you? Well, there are, things are always changing, but 
which is great because it gives a lot of younger people who are just starting out a platform that mm-hmm. again can like scale up if right. they something cool on Vimeo, you know, which wasn't really around when I was first starting. There was still like this massive structure you had to get through to get your work shown. Someone does something cool on Vimeo, you know, they might be shooting like a, a huge campaign, you know, or a Bjork video or something, you know, in two months. Uh, so that's the good part. But I mean, how do you keep fresh? If I'm sitting in my library right now, and I probably have about 5,000 photo and art books in front of me. So, uh, I, I have like a, a lifestyle where you're looking through books and you're looking at films and there's always something. And then uh, a lot of the stuff, even though it seems like a lot of things are like new and constantly changing and evolving, they're not really that new and they're not really that evolving. A lot of things are devolving. So it's just kind of being on... If you're trying to do something new, I think you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. I think you have to like make, at least at the state that I'm in, uh, we'll try and do something we haven't seen before, but the main idea is to communicate something authentic, like sure. authenticity. Authenticity does trump originality. Yeah. Content. And that's why I say if you do these videos, some videos, you know, you you do take off. You can't control like what's go- what's going to happen. I found that it used to be that people would say you have to make this video so it will go viral and I mean that was like actually in pitches that people would be sending. Like, you need this to be <laughs> it's a, a bullet viral. point. It must be a yeah. viral video and it's like that's not for us to decide. Like we'll do our best but <laughs> like uh, a lot of, you know and I study um the analytics of these things a lot and understand like because it's interesting to watch things happen. Uh-huh. Uh, to see them spread and you see, you know, and, or to see something not happening. And sometimes some of the stuff that spreads around has actually been around for a while. And then, but all of a sudden got picked up by some random source. It's like, there's a lot of, there are a lot of factors beyond, there's a lot of factors that are way out of your control that I don't, I don't ever think about right. because started thinking about them. Uh, it would just be a, a downward spiral. Yeah. I don't done and that was kind of my next question too i mean like how how much for you as a photographer and as a director um do you uh, i mean on one hand i want to say do you want to on the other hand i was going to say do you need to based on like the artist's request or whoever is asking depending on like the size of the client but i mean how much is considered and taken into consideration you know in the instagram and tumblr age and the you know with twitter and stuff i mean especially like tumblr i mean it's so visual and if if something yeah. gets catches fire on there um it's just kind of its own world um next next thing you know it's you know everywhere um yeah. i mean well, is, is it important to you to connect to that generation it, into that world it's it's funny because like i i that's, you know, that's not, I don't think the people who hire me are looking at, like specifically at that as a reference to find me. There's like a whole other network of things that happen to connect me to people because there's also, but like, I, I, I didn't, I don't normally think about it, but we are just doing a project with um, Charlie XCX. And I look at a lot of Tumblr things and I knew her from when she was more of a like electro goth girl. We've been chatting about doing a video and now she's like a pop star, right? So we did a shoot and I was like, okay, I'm going to make this shoot like a Tumblr shoot. Um, We're going to pretend we're doing a Tumblr. So we were like printing, like printing out kind of like Tumblr kind of collage things as backgrounds and then running the, running the images through um, like iPhone applications and then like for, to, for collages and things like it's quite interesting and then redoing them in photoshop and like higher scales because it is like because it is she's an appropriate subject for that 
and it's almost like the way we're approaching it is almost like a meta take on what it, the Tumblr aesthetic is. And then I go and then I put it on Tumblr and then I just looked this morning, it's been shared like whatever a thousand times on Tumblr where my work isn't the artists that I work with, say like Depeche Mode, Zola Jesus or whoever battles, they're not really Tumblr artists, you know, their fans are not sending like making words with images of them to show their friends yeah their aesthetic that's a bit of a younger demographic it is but it's funny because i mean your work connects very well in that way and i think it sounds to me like you've maybe not intended to cater to that but you're mindful of it um no it was i changed my aesthetic depending on the artist and it was like it seems like a fun thing to do with this fun artist i know what's you know i'm aware of what's going on in the world but I, I just ha- I, I have to work for what is towards what is the most appropriate response for the artist aesthetic that I work with. Right. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna I can work with Charlie. It sounds funner for me, be not funner, but it's fun because it's a pop context, uh, and I could go a little crazier with the pop. It's instead of a sort of like somber, serious tone, it could be a more ecstatic sure. sort of youthful tone, right, which right. I also enjoy doing. It's all communication. Mm-hmm. My personal aesthetic meanders between ecstasy and despair (laughs) (laughs) that's a nice uh, range you've got there you've got a lot of play in between those two extremes um one thing too with you i mean you've always been um a a fan of and a a champion of um of graphic design and i know you've worked a lot with um you know different designers over the years you know mutual friend josh joshua davis um you've done a lot of stuff with build um And, you know, he, he, he did your current site. Is that? He did my site and he designed the last book I did. I've yeah. worked with him on and off for, I think, almost 10 years yeah. now. Trying to do everything. Yeah. And, and so you've always had a very carefully crafted personal aesthetic for your work and for your brand as, you know, you, the photographer, the director. And that's always been something that's been very important to you and has come through. I mean, I think that's actually really something that always attracted to, uh, attracted, um, you know, me to your work was seeing not only what you made was good, but it was wrapped up in a, in a, you know, wrapping paper, if you will, in a package that, um, sort of told me more about you, um, in a way. And and on top of just the, the work itself, I know a lot of photographers, you know, just always, always not so much anymore because there's so many more better templates, I suppose to use, but I mean, it's very easy to just throw your work up on some template thing and not put a lot of thought into it. And like, well, all my time and work goes into the shoots. So I'll just put it up on this plain site and whatever. I mean, your stuff has been more conceptual and a little more designed. Um, what's, yeah. Why why is that? Is that obviously it's intentional, but I mean, uh, yeah, sometimes over design. Um, and it's funny if you look at a lot of photographers who are like from the, like, mid 2000s they still have these like horrible flash websites (laughs) why is that there's so many photographers whose stuff even now is is stuck in this it's because it's expensive to redo a whole website you know with a back end that works for you to like have all your word update and also those people a lot of those photographers aren't interested in design and i Mm -hmm. always was interested in design and a lot of my early work was criticized for being like too design heavy Hmm. uh but you know i like i find the connection between you know, Wim Crowell and, and, uh, you know, uh, Irving Penn or whoever, you know, I, I, I see it all in like one world, but for me, the design was super important because, uh, I kind of wanted to remain sort of faceless because that's the world I'm from. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted the design to speak 
as like you're saying, like a framework, like a packaging. I have uh, there's like a a tone that I wanted to be set that made it said that the work that is being done is purposeful and it's not completely random. Uh, And um, because a lot of photographers' work is completely random, it's all over the place. Uh, And I and it comes from being into electronic music in that world and having records that were sort of enigmatic in their packaging design and I and and build actually was uh, part of designers republic who designed a lot of those things so it was you know to have someone whose records you owned when you're a kid you know who who designed these records and you obsessed over them to be able to work with that person on your own design I mean it's like a dream come true right yeah why wouldn't you do it? Right, right. Um, and I, I just think that's great. I wanted to make sure I touched on that. And, you know, because I think to it's me, important um, how to you... Me, and to me, you spend, we spend so much time making these things. It's such a shame when they just go out into the world just to, without that extra little bit of thought. Right. Like, what is the context that we're sending this out in? And mm-hmm. like saying, how are we framing this? How are we setting this up to be viewed? You know, if we're doing a book, how is the book design? What paper stock are we using? Yeah. Like, how is it wrapping? What's the label look like on that? Like obsessive things that you can get like completely wrapped up into a, an unhealthy point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but finding some of that and thinking about it. But it speaks I, volumes to people. You know, I mean, I got your, the book that you did um, last year. Was it last year? You did a... Uh, uh, that was earlier this year. Yeah, earlier, I think. earlier this year, yeah. And yeah, I mean, everything from how it's packaged to the paper. I mean, it, all things were considered. And I think, you know, that's... Uh, a good lesson for any photographer or director to learn or just any artist. I mean, it's very easy to just, yeah, pour all your time into the content and then sort of forget about the presentation. And I, I just think, you know, you wouldn't, um, show up to a meeting like in your sweatpants, you know, but have a lot of good things to say, you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. maybe that's the best analogy for it, but you know, you want to dress it up at least a little bit and maybe some things are expensive and that's understandable. Obviously cost is a factor, but there's so many tools now that people can use in, you know, on the internet now and, and even printing stuff. I mean, that make things cheap or borderline free. There's almost no excuse not to spend a little bit of extra time to make sure that your work is, is very presentable and done in a way that you are proud of. Um, I think, um, What I liked about what I uh, some one of the things I love about working with Bill is also is that he's from a print background. Mm -hmm. So and I'm from a kind of a print background, analog background. So we think in terms of objects that exist in space and time rather than something that is like an ephemeral piece that exists Mm -hmm. in in code. Uh, So it's fun to work with someone who understands that dynamic of Uh texture, weight, how light reflects off of things like uh, which is sort of, you know, a bit of a lost art form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, again, it's just paying attention to those little details and, and finding other people who care about them as well, that will end up yielding the best projects that you ever do. Um, and by the way, I, I know we referenced just build, um, a couple of times if anybody doesn't know, you want to just explain who <laughs> build is, who Michael is. Yeah. Yeah. His name is, uh, Michael C. Place and he's, a this fantastic designer in London who uh, has a studio called Build with his wife Nikki and they have a team there and they do a lot of uh, amazing print work as well as as well as web work. Uh, Highly influential uh, designer. I mean, it's just it's so cool yeah. that you've been a longtime collaborator of his. I'm sure a lot of listeners who are more in the design world, um, you know, per- perch well, up at his name because he's just been such a huge uh, influence on modern um, graphic design. 
And again, we're also like lovers of music and art and we share things as friends. And, you know, when I go to London, we go out and, and go to a show or go to, go to, you know, go on the piss and go to design bookstores. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a, these are, you know, people who you just like anyone, it's like people who are your friends, who you get along with. And that's, that's the people you should be working with. Right. Right. Um, so any projects that you're on right now, uh, that you're particularly excited about or things that you have on the horizon or, uh, even just something you're kind of cooking up, um, personally? Well, I'm trying to, um, it was a quite a busy year cause we did the Adidas world cup campaign and then that book and then a whole bunch of music videos. So mm-hmm. I'm actually trying to do a short narrative film piece mm-hmm. before the end of the year because I have been too busy to do that. And there's a lot of, that seems like another step out into the uncomfortable zone <laughs> uh, yeah. of, of figuring out how to get that to work. And, right. uh, you know, again, like how do you keep yourself interested? Right. How do you, you know, I, the work like day to day work always kind of flows in, you know, I can being doing something like photography and, and design as well. It's like, it's a, it is a craft and it is a job to a certain degree. Like you can, you can take jobs for, you know, one of many reasons and, you know, financial consideration is mm-hmm. definitely important because that will allow you to go off and do these, your own personal projects. Yeah. And that's a huge part too, is the financial stuff. I mean, for me, you know, in my world and a lot of people who do closer to what I do, where it's just, you know, graphic design or illustration or more print stuff, um, there's not sort of this ongoing budget situation or you have to allot a certain amount of, you know, budget to, you know, A, B and C. It's just like, here's the project. Okay. And here's the budget. It needs to be done by, you know, Tuesday. All right, great. Go ahead. Um, you know, in your world, whether it's a personal project or, you know, a a commercial project of a photography, you know, a a photography project or, you know, video, whatever budgets are a huge thing. Um, and obviously they're dealt with differently for personal or commercial work. Um, but, I mean, how do you how do you manage that when budgets get cut or when there's not there the money's not there to sort of be able to help you carry out a vision you might have for one of these projects? Yeah, I mean that happens on pretty much every project. Yeah, there's never enough money to do what everybody wants. Right. So it's just it's built into the process of how you approach these things. Mm-hmm. Where you uh, the client comes says we want to do this, we have this much money. Then I come up with an idea and work with a producer and my production team and pitch them back an idea that's modified to the way I would do it. And they create a budget and that budget is always higher than what the initial budget was because the initial budget is always too low. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then we go back and forth to find a place where we can communicate what's necessary within their budget or they raise it a little bit, but there's a lot of back and forth. That's all in the pre-production part. And that mm-hmm. takes a long time to figure out. Yeah. And then sometimes it just stops at that point and it doesn't move forward. Sure. When you uh, say a long time, I mean, what's a tip for a project maybe that has gone from, you know, idea to fr- come to fruition. I mean, what's a long time for something to be in the pre-production phase where you're just simply coming up with ideas until it's actually sold through? Well, like from pre-production to getting like confirmed, that might be, might be three or four weeks, depending, okay. depending on what it is, mm-hmm. which feels like forever yeah. when you're doing it. <laughs> and then usually you have about three weeks to pre-produce once it's locked in and then you shoot for a week or whatever. And then you usually have like a month to finish it. Uh-huh. Um, so it might take like three or four months all in. Yeah, But there's a lot of, I mean, there's a, my part of the tricky thing with my work is that it does require 
lights uh, and sometimes sets or studio or things, things that are hard costs that are, that uh, make it difficult to do things when the budget is below a certain amount. Right. It has to, I mean, it'll end up either looking tacky or just simply not correct. <laughs> I guess if, if you can't yeah. light something the right way, I mean, that's, that's basically what, that's all yeah. you have to work with. You know, I have my tools that I need, but they're just, I, I, I wish they were a little less expensive sometimes so we yeah. could just more spontaneous, but, uh, you know, that's something that you consider. And I mean, I actually, maybe I do about four music videos a year or something like that mm -hmm. because not much more than that because I have to wait till there's enough money to actually be able to execute something and have a good idea. Uh -huh. And even just like the minimum amount to like get the five people we need to this location <laughs> right. with cameras and lights, you know, is, is in the music world where the budgets are shrinking and shrinking, that's getting harder and harder, mm -hmm. even with digital. And, and there's a lot of people when digital started had this concept that like, that means we're going to shoot everything for free and all that <laughs> that yeah. kind of stuff but that doesn't you know that doesn't really happen and then or they end up pushing the post-production visual effects graphics people mm. harder for less money because they don't have any hard costs sure as such uh, i'm sure that happens like that's why you see visual effect companies always going under and and things like that it's like it's a very tricky part of the business to work out especially if you're trying to do things that are interesting mm -hmm. uh yeah, and the and the more and the more interesting projects you get, or the higher level projects you get, you're butting up against people who have been doing it, you know, a lot longer than you, and have a, a lot, a lot more connections and a lot more experience, and a, mm -hmm. uh, you hit this sort of like ceiling of like, what do you do next? Right. Now, as far as budgets changing and just kind of the general landscape changing, and one of the reasons I asked earlier about kind of what you're working on now or next is because talking about the way that your world and especially the the video the music video world has kind of changed and you know along with the internet it's gone much uh, further away from a typical narrative where it's this you know you've got three minutes to tell a story and then it's over and you know there's been much more of especially with more creative artists um, to do interactive pieces where um time is infinite it's not just a to b um maybe it, you know that like you just sort of explore this this world um i mean has that changed things for you have you um sort of yeah, had a chance yeah. to get into that kind of work much yet and if so do yeah. you enjoy it yeah um i mean i i study a lot about the end of narrative and and uh these kind of concepts that you're talking about um, and I have pitched on a few of those things and we have, a, we've been in the pre-production process on a lot of those things because a lot of, to, mostly it's brands are looking for that. They'll say, I mean, you, you will have the occasional like Biophilia Bjork piece or, um, um, the Radiohead thing, which is like a music based, uh, interactive piece where the music floats in and out and you, and you traverse through these worlds. Uh, but mostly it's brands that are looking for how can they create these integrated experiences? Um, and, and I do see a lot of boards come in for that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, that world, and I have pitched on certain things, but that world is so specific to the technology that it takes to make it that very often the places that are doing that are, are places that specialize in, in only that kind of work. So I, I'm personally working on a few projects with Game, video game developer collaborators and things like that mm. that 
uh, we'll see how those go for the next year or so to see if one of these pieces comes to fruition to create kind of that sort of element. So it has the visual texture and sort of worlds of things that I would shoot, but in a more interactive format with music from one of these, one of our artists that we work with. Um, so that's definitely on my radar. That just takes a, uh, and and again, it's like you, if you're going to do something this intense work wise and focused, you have to make sure that there's a platform for it once it's finished. Yeah. I see a People do these. See, so many people do these amazing projects, spending hundreds and hundreds of hours of work on them, and they put them on on the internet, and then nothing happens. Hmm. Well, uh, what do you think is the right way to do that, or where they spend all this time on it? Are you saying that happens even if it's a great project and it wasn't? Even uh, if it's great, if it's not attached to something bigger than you know your little your your like small group of people making it in your yeah. small world. I mean, I'm not I'm not an expert in marketing and how these kinds of things work or the algorithms or whatnot of of success of those of those things and how they spread across the internet but it it is fascinating but if it's attached to something beyond the piece like hey we if if that say if the radiohead um piece that was made wasn't made for radiohead say it was made for some band you had never heard of would you even be aware of it right holly code (laughs) um you know but because it's attached to radiohead and has a built-in fan base that elevates it and gets a bigger audience. People see it. People will take it more seriously and are interested in it. So I feel like if you're going to make some one of these pieces, uh, it's very helpful if you have it connected to a release and has it like a musician release, musical release, something that has a team behind it. Because you know, I'm not a I'm not a marketer like I'm saying, and, and a lot of the people I work with aren't. So you need the actual like marketing team right. or these people who are going to spend. The, a huge amount of effort getting eyes on it. And that's specifically in relation to projects that require like just an absurd amount of, of manpower and time. I mean, you're not like kind of going into a territory of like, it's pointless to spend time on a project. If there's not going to be this massive built in audience, it's more like if you're going to do something and your intention is for it to be seen by a ton of people, because you're putting so much time in, it probably helps if it's attached to something greater than just the project itself. I mean, I would just say it's always, you know, if you can cross pollinate things. It's yeah. Helpful. But like I was saying with Vimeo and, and such, and, and, and I'm saying a lot of the work that we do on a larger scale comes from just experiments that my friends and I are doing. Right, right. But if you are going to make something at like an interactive HTML5 immersive piece uh, and you're going to be spending hundreds of hours on it, it's probably <laughs> a good idea to also try and keep your mind open about how it could connect to other things, other artists or galleries or things of, of that nature that will, that will get more attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. I mean, and it's again, not to discourage anyone from spending a ton of time on just like a passion project, but I mean, I mean, it's just, yeah, if you're going to devote like a gigantic chunk of your life to something, it it would serve you well to, like you said, cross pollinate, work with people who know how to then present this to the world, and it's you know, and really do it justice too. I mean, it's not even just about your return, but like if you're going to spend time like that on anything, I mean, to to link up with people who can maybe help you, um, you know, have it see the most light of day possible um, is yeah, probably and, a good and idea. It's not, it's not that hard with the internet. You can, right. I mean, people email me. People contact even me all the time to say they have some idea about some code piece or something. Do I want to collaborate? And then I look at it, and if I feel like we're going to make something, then I'll go to the artist I work with and 
you know, it kind of spreads organically. Mm-hmm. I just think it's like I, if the pieces that I'm working on now, we have a bunch of ideas and I'm trying to see, will one of them fit with the artists I'm working with? And then once we have some kind of confirmation, then, you know, we can pull the trigger on it. But sure. I, I, it's just like if you make a book and then you don't bother to promote it or you don't have any way to yeah. you know, transport it. These are just things that people should think about that yeah. aren't that hard. And it actually gets other people excited. They feel part of your process. Uh, you feel good about it. You get a deadline sometimes, which can be really helpful with these things. Uh, no, no question. I, I think that's something that, I mean, in your, again, in your specific world is, is a huge factor. But, you know, for me, like I got an email like last night, you know, from, from a magazine I work with a lot and they're like, Hey, we have this piece. We're going to need it by Thursday. I mean, it's, it's Wednesday right now. It's 1230. I'm, I'm, I just got an email with the photos. Like I have basically 24 hours to work on this thing. And, Sometimes that's nice because I'll get this thing done from, you know, from scratch. It'll be done by the time they need it tomorrow. I enjoy working quickly. Um, But compare that to, say, a personal project I've been working on that very well should have been done like in June. I'm still dragging my feet because I got nobody telling me, hey, this needs to get done because other people are depending on it. Um, deadlines yeah. are, are wonderful things. People bitch about them all the time, but there's, there's nothing wrong with, <laughs> especially no, if you're a freelancer or work for yourself, there's something very nice about someone else dictating the, the framework of a project. And constraints are, I don't know, it's a cliche to say constraints are, you know, a creative place to work within, but they, to, to me, they really are. I mean, if you're an imaginative person, imaginative person, and you have no deadline, you know, to me, it's it, you need to focus that energy. Yeah, somehow. I, I think I need to hire someone sometimes to have just sort of looming over and checking in. You know, I, I really do. I mean, like someone who who uh, you know, like really just stays on top of you because I know how I am when I have a client. I want to impress them. I want to do good work for them. Um, when I'm the client, it's not that I don't want to do good work for myself, but it can be very easy to be like, well. It's really just for me. So, I mean, what's the rush? And then it just sort of falls by the wayside or takes just forever, which is always kind of a shame. Um, But but I I do think those things that we're discussing are the future. I mean, from every, most of the things I've seen, you know, interactive pieces that have content or a nonlinear narrative. I I, I mean, at the level, at the scale I'm at, which isn't the top scale, it's somewhere in the middle. I'm I see a lot of interest in that from commercial places, Mm -hmm. which uh, is a little bit unusual. But you know, they are trying to be ahead of the game. But once you have things like, you know, if the Oculus Rift works in a way that everyone can use it, and elements like that, that's that's going to be that is the future, right? Yeah. And who are, I mean, are there any particular people right now who you like whatever sort of tier, you know, they might fall in in their career or however long, like, is there anyone in particular, like recently who's been doing work that you look at and it's just like, Oh my goodness. Like this is, this is what's right now. This is what's next. It just excites me. And why I want to do something like that, not to put you on the spot uh, to yeah. n- name names, but yeah, you know, I, I could look through my inspirations folder and find it, but you know, <laughs> I, I tend to like, uh, I tend to like a lot of the elements of uh, interactive sculpture pieces. There's a lot of beautiful things recently from there. And, and uh, just the more like sort of people using really intense 3D for pieces or things that look like maybe they should be out of some kind of occult film. Mm. Yeah. 
but I mean, I, I look at a lot of things, but a lot of the things I'm looking at, I have to kind of stay focused into what I'm working on at the project at the time. Mm-hmm. Like when we're working on a project, I usually can't even listen to, to music. I have to other music besides for what we're working yeah, on. Yeah, you just immerse yourself completely in like whoever it is that you're creating something for. That just hel- helps set yeah. the the tone and the, and the mood in your own head, uh, like I for mean, the best possible. Output. There's always a, there's always an amazing new, you know, young person on new director on Vimeo making something. It's like I don't know how you could say something is your favorite at the moment. There's just so much content <laughs> all the time. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's an onslaught. It so. is. And, and and I think one of the biggest challenges uh, and kind of one of the final things I wanted to touch on with you was um, because that's the case, because there's so much stuff. Um, I think that's the best way to say it. There's so much stuff everywhere, um, you know, uh, on the internet every single day. I mean, you, you see something amazing on Twitter, for example, and you wait five minutes and next thing you know, it's not in your feed, in your frame of vision. And unless it was really a standout thing, it's onto the next thing. Um, you know, it's, it's really hard to create something that's lasting, um, you know, on, you know, on the internet now and in the age we're in, I mean, what is it that you think is important to, you know, keeping yourself fresh and like being able to move on to the next thing? I mean, is it, is it a matter of motivation? Is it a matter of creative inspiration? I mean, like it can be so easy to do something just incredible and then like the excitement for it dies down and then you're sort of at a starting point all over again. Yeah, that's like every Monday morning. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a, I think that's probably been every every artist's you know struggle from the beginning of time. How do you find new subject matter? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I I actually look don't spend as much time on the internet, and I look most of the things I look at are in galleries in New York or wherever I'm traveling or in book in, in books. Mm-hmm. We have a massive book collection. I travel around the world and go to bookstores and. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I try to have a bigger picture of things. Like you said, who do I think has like been amazing? Well, I'm looking at a book um, from this uh, Japanese photographer called Laiko Shiga. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book is called Rasen Kaigen. Um, I'll send you a link to it. But anyway, she she lived on this on this island in Japan for like six years, and and she's a young girl, and she made these like completely surreal images of the people who live there mm-hmm. and put this book together the books probably like 500 pages beautifully designed and uh you know that's something that that takes commitment and a long view and uh you have to immerse yourself in the world and that's kind of what puts me back on the ground is hmm. looking at the commitment that certain people have to things that is like way beyond my scope of sure. yeah. and understanding that time even exists in a six year mm-hmm. scale <laughs> because, yeah. I'm, because my temporal t- association to, to time is so skewed from, from the immediacy of the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just step back and look at those kinds of things and, sure. or watch opera or read books. You could try reading a book. <laughs> yeah. And do something and do something else for a change than just sort of search for inspiration on the internet or in a magazine that you get, you know, to look at every month. I mean, something totally new or out there. And I think for me lately, I've really, I had an interesting conversation with a friend the other day, just about the art that I like in general and that he likes. And it kind of took a turn into, uh, there's certain artists whose work 
I, I really, I liked, but it wasn't, you know, my favorite. And then I learned their story and I learned about the person and, and their process and what goes into it. And I was sold. I, I Then I loved their work um, and found out what it takes to make what they make. And then I just had this whole new appreciation that went beyond just the surface of, you know, their portfolio or, you know, whatever, whatever their output is. Um, and then at the same time, there's other people whose work I've really liked and then kind of got to know them a little bit or found out more about them. And it's, you know, it can water it down like anything. You know, if you have a, if you're a fan of a celebrity or an athlete or something as a kid and you meet them and they're a jerk to you, that can really change things. And I think as I've gotten older, I've been able to appreciate artists whose work just like you just said, I mean, this person who put all this years of their time into making something, um, you could maybe flip through it and it's so big. Obviously a 500 page book is an accomplishment on any level, but I mean, there's something to that, that is like pushes you. Cause it's like, wow, what am I doing with all this time? I see these other people do stuff with their time like this. I've got to be able to maximize my, my time so, and my mind and output, you know, to this level. I think you need to remove yourself from the, from the cycle of, of desperation to remain relevant because I think that like can be a real creative killer. Absolutely. For some you see, there's so much uh, hype and so much excitement about so many things, and you can. It, it's quite easy to feel left out about that, and then lose confidence. And I think you have to understand that that's like a game that's just been going on for a long time. And and what's your story? And step back and say, well, what's my story? And how can I communicate it? And mm. you know, put your feet on the ground, and then then you'll realize that those things weren't your story, and you don't need to be you know, necessarily part of that, even though you appreciate it mm -hmm. and then go back to doing the things you're interested in. And from those experiments, something happens, you know, I've been very lucky in that some of the things I've worked on that I was really interested in have been picked up or been other people have been interested in, but none of the stuff was designed to actually get interest except for maybe this Charlie XCX story <laughs> for Tumblr, mm -hmm. uh, which was its own kind of sociological experiment. But as long as you're making interesting things, and then you're connecting with the right people and pushing your boundaries and changing your tools, uh, changing your location, talking to other people and hearing their stories. You know, the, for me, that's where the inspiration comes from. Absolutely. I think that's a perfect uh, thing to kind of wrap up with, too, is just hearing that. It's a, uh, you know, certainly wasn't looking for any sort of particular inspirational quote, but I just think that's such a great message. I mean, like, to especially, I mean, I get, I know we all get caught in this as, as creative people, even non-creative people who just have a business, like unless people are talking about you right then and there, you, you often create this sort of, um, or at least I know I do create this sort of insecurity in yourself. Like you don't matter. And like your work isn't any good or it's kind of, it was great yesterday, but today I'm not really like, you know, doing anything that people care about. And it's like, well, maybe you literally aren't because you're sitting here thinking about that. And you should just be onto the next project and put your head down and just bust your ass and work. Um, and I know every time I do that, when I just shut up and stop worrying about like, how am I going to get attention for what I've already done and just think about like onto the next thing and do my best work. And then that's, that's when the, that's when the attention comes. That's when, you know, having changed your environment and changed your process or done something a little more challenging than the last thing pays off and you feel really happy and content with what you've, what you've accomplished and created. I think that's, I mean, that's it. <laughs> that's Yeah. And I think if you go to the I, you go to the history museum and we look at we go we'll go look at the Egyptian tombs and I mean things that are really humbling and you 
puts you in a sense of where you are in the universe mm. and your place and you feel you can feel it, it takes you out of the desperate cycle of immediacy that people seem to be trapped in yeah. right now. Or even just hearing a friend's story of something they're going through that's even, and this is yeah. true for anything in life. But I mean, you hear a friend going through some real, real shit with their family or with their health or their job or something. And you're like, man, like my follower count isn't some big of a deal, <laughs> is it? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just not that important. And <laughs> You know, what is important is that you maximize your time and do the best thing, yeah, best and, things you can. <laughs> and keep making work that interests you and, and that you love. And then someone will eventually pay attention. And, uh, you know, but if you stop making what you love, then no one will, no one will be interested in that, you. That is what it's all about. And that is the, that's uh you could put that on your, your cards, man. You could, it might, maybe might be a little cheesy, but uh, you know, I think that's such a great, that's just such a, a words to live by type of thing. And, and I think that's so important. And just, I'm glad we touched on this because the dwelling on, on followers and on attention and, and notoriety is sometimes so overwhelming and, and it's easy to lose focus on all the stuff yeah. that really matters the most. Um, well, that's everyone should follow me on Twitter. It's, uh, <laughs> for more of these inspirational <laughs> daily quotes in your inbox. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Creative well, inspiration daily. Quote. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Sassenti, uh, you know, quote of the day, Twitter. Um, you've got to follow that and check out all the, the great <laughs> sponsored material on that, on the feed. <laughs> um, well, yeah. So you're off to LA tomorrow and then uh, you're going to um, just be head down working on this stuff you're on now any any other stuff coming up you want to promote or talk about i know we just went into all the uh art but it's kind of at the end i just like open it up and if there's anything you want to you want to talk about or tell uh, people to no, check out no right now everything's a mystery which is the fun part cool i like that <laughs> um well what uh I'll have your uh, Twitter link and site and everything on uh, lifeandlimb.com on the on there and and people can go find your work and and all that but uh I really appreciate it I really appreciate the discussion I think this is one of the more heady conversations I've had and and it's been a lot of fun for me because um you know I go like I was telling you before we started this uh, and we were just doing a little bit of prep and everything you know so much of these interviews for me is just a chance to learn about the person I'm interviewing and, 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 and hear what they're all about and find things out that maybe I didn't know. And, and, uh, every single interview is so different. And, uh, I think getting into some of these topics is something I haven't done yet. And that, that there's a perfect example of just putting your head down and, and doing your thing and, and being somewhat enlightened. So thank you for, uh, the time and for the words of wisdom and, and sharing all the, the great stuff you've been up to and your thoughts on all this stuff. I, I've found it very fascinating. Oh, great. Yeah. And it, do you ever come to New York? We should hang out. Um, yeah. I, uh, I'm not sure when I will be next or what my plans are, but I, I definitely need to get out there if it only just to make a, make a trip out there sometime and, and, and connect same for you if you're ever in, uh, in Chicago. So yeah. Awesome. Um, all right, man. Well, Hey, thanks again. I, I appreciate your time very much. And, uh, I, I hope people have enjoyed this and you can check out, uh, what's your website again? It's timothysacenti.com. Uh, yeah, timothysacenti.com. And you can follow Tim Sacenti quotes on Twitter for uh, more daily life lessons. Something like that. <laughs> All right, okay. man. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Bye, okay. Chuck. Bye.